takes a moment to discuss what's happening in Club Mova, current events, and topics in the library world, pop culture that we love or hate, and more. I'm Christine Moeller, Information Literacy and Instruction Librarian for the Mulva Library. Today, I'm joined by one of my colleagues here at St. Norbert College, Tom Bolin, Professor of Theology and Religious Studies. We're here to talk about information literacy and what that might mean for us and our students. So, Tom, to get us started, I'm wondering, what does this phrase, information literacy, mean to you? Well, I think off the bat, literacy to me is a skill. It's a competence, mm-hmm. and so it's something you do and not something you have. And so it's a, it's a very active kind of a process. Mm-hmm. And I would say the same thing about information. Information is an, a passive body of data, which one sort of ingests in some way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, information is really a huge umbrella term that encompasses lots of different things, um, you know, different kinds of media, different kinds of, of uh, ways of of those that those are preserved and articulated and things like that, and and so uh, to, in, information is something that we interact with. It's not something we mm. simply gain or possess. Yeah. It's not a. It's not. It's not a quantitative kind of a kind of a thing. Right. So information literacy for me is is really uh, very understood as a very active kind of a thing. You, it's something you're doing. It's a skill that you have that you can learn. You can always get better at, I don't know, playing a musical instrument or, or something like that. And um, and it's about interaction and not just simply acquisition. Yeah, I, I love how you sort of talk about both that active part and the way that, that we sort of interact with information, right? So traditionally, information literacy has really been conceived as like locating, accessing, using information, right? This really idea of like consumption of information. Um, And we've sort of shifted away from that understanding of both information and information literacy. So it's really exciting to hear you talk about it that way too. Um, That's not just about like ingesting this, right? That's not that sort of passive consumption of information that you really sort of have to engage with that um, and that that is a process, right? And, And yes, something you can learn, um, but also probably then, like you said, with a musical instrument, right, that idea that takes practice. Um, And I think there are some contexts, even for myself, where I recognize that I'm probably better at it in this particular context than I am in this other practice. Like, I might need more practice engaging in information literacy, I don't know, looking at Facebook feeds or something, right, sort of, I mean, I do stop and question them, right, But, but maybe not to the extent that I would if I were doing research on information literacy, right? So thinking about um, how you sort of transfer that practice to other areas as well. Um, and, And this idea that even for like someone like me who works in information literacy, I recognize that there are areas where I probably need to have more of that kind of practice. Yeah. And the, the literacy word, I think, is really kind of key there because there's in, tr- in traditional understanding of literacy, there are different f- levels of literacy, right? There's right. functional literacy, and 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 then uh, you know, and then moving beyond those kinds of things. There's even in the ancient world, which is the, the area I, I study a lot. We you know, when we talk about literacy in the ancient world, it's a, it's a really elusive kind of a kind of a question because um, I mean, apart from 
the lack of direct evidence that we have for things. It's also, well, what do you what do you mean by literate? There were people who could write the alphabet out in alphabetical order and could write their names mm-hmm. and things along those lines to a range of, you know, people who are, you know, a very small group of people who are composing what we would call you know, high literary kinds of output in, in one way or another, uh, not to mention the whole complicated oral written kind of a thing. Sure. So literacy for me, I, I think about the idea of, if I can use the broad sense of understanding a text as a human product, you know, when we read, again, reading isn't passive. That's one of the biggest things we have to stress to our students, you know. And so right. reading and reading involves, it's more than simply a skill of, you know, knowing what the letters together string together and things like that. And there, there's a higher order level of skills with literacy where you're looking at, you know, you're aware of, you make genre judgments about something before you start reading it. And mm-hmm. then that, and that shapes the kinds of questions and expectations and assumptions that you have, which then and get, enter into this dance back and forth as the text thwarts your expectations or fulfills them or opens up new ones or things like that. It's the same thing with information. So, yeah, when you're scrolling through a Facebook feed, your mind says Facebook feed in some way or another. Mm-hmm. And so different parts of your analytical processes, some of those are firing and some of those aren't, right. like when you're doing something else. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so that ability to sort of be reflective about yeah. those different kinds of things, mm-hmm. you know, um, and and also know what particular kinds of, of uh, skill sets or filters, however you want to call it, that we bring when we're reading the different kinds of things, mm-hmm. and also to be able to, to kind of consciously change them when we want to, I think are, are parts of the, the skill part of literacy, mm-hmm. right? To be able to, to be yeah. able to change strategies, to yeah. know, to identify my own strategies mm-hmm. and be able to change them and realizing that when I change them, I'm really going to have a different experience of whatever it is I'm interacting with, right? Yeah. So if, you, if you're going mm-hmm. through a Facebook feed, for example, and you're and you're just simply looking for, you know, um, you know, p- people, you know, people I went to high school with, or you're going through a Facebook feed and you know, baby pictures, yeah, or whatever, you know, right, I mean, all exactly. those different kinds of things, mm-hmm. you know, um, and 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 so you know, it really, you know, we 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 have these filters set up in order because otherwise it's just sensory overload and everything, sure. mm-hmm. and so. Uh, the ability to train those, the ability simply to be aware that we have them, I right, think is huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I think that recognition of their existence, right, and mm-hmm. how we sort of choose to apply them across different contexts and in different situations is really key there because that then that awareness then lends itself to um, to your your ability to be agile in the way that you think about those things and and recognize that um, okay now I've now I'm seeing something that's not a baby picture where this person has shared a story from some source right what is this source what am I looking at mm-hmm. um, here's the moment where you know I might shift those filters in order to engage with that particular post or that information in a different way than I might engage with the the you know vacation pictures or that sort of thing and just the I mean I think this is something we've all experienced but the idea <clears> where Someone, you know, someone posts something from the onion and maybe an older person isn't aware mm-hmm. that it's satire. Right. You know, mm-hmm. and, and so now there's this the little tag phrase on social media where you, you literally say, you know, you'll post something and write, not the onion. You know, just <laughs> right. Because, yep. because mm-hmm. I mean, apart from what, what that says about about reality, but we, we've all yeah. had those kinds of experiences, too, where where we've misread something, mm-hmm. you know, and to misread um, in and of itself is, is, is an opportunity for understanding, mm-hmm. but, but there has to be the awareness in some way that, that you, you, 
interacted with something in a way that um, there might have been there, there might have been different strategies you could use mm-hmm. you could have used to yield more meaning. Right. Um, yeah. And this completely, I mean, this completely, you know, is apart from the whole idea of, you know, uh, you know, am I, am I, as I share something, or as if I'm the person who's putting out the information, what my intentions are, maybe I want you to misinterpret it, mm, or maybe, I don't, right, you know, so sure. it's a very complicated mm-hmm. kind of interaction, um, you know, and it happens across the board, you know, with, um, you know, not simply social media, but how our students are, are attempting to interact with, you know, um, different kinds of, of information that that they're processing in, in in lots of different ways. And I think those of us, I mean, I've been teaching for 23 years. This is my 24th year. And so, you know, the the different kinds of information that are available to my students and the ways they interact with them, you know, are very, very different now than when they were when I was, when I was first teaching. But simply the, the understanding that, you know, for example, this is, this is a basic thing, but in, 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 in uh, you know, the idea that Something something digital isn't simply an you know another way of uh, another way of getting a book right you know d- interacting with something digital is really a different experience than, mm-hmm. than you know the, what you have when when you actually have a book or a text and so mm-hmm. I think about these kinds of things when I when my students are using uh, you know non print media sometimes mm-hmm. I deliberately construct that media to make it look as much like print as possible. Mm-hmm. But but I do that in a deliberate way. Right. And mainly it's because I just, I don't know, I just wanted to spend more money on print me, you know. Mm-hmm. But other ways, I, I deliberately don't. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm trying, I'm feverishly failing to get my syllabi written this week because class mm-hmm. starts on Monday. But my syllabi have become... You know, when, in the days where a syllabus, a syllabus was this thing you typed out, it was a you know it was it was the genre document was it was a contract, right? Very there's specific a, format. Tur- yeah, yeah, very very kind of <clears throat> turgid kind of business like prose mm-hmm. things like that. You know, and you handed out a hard copy on the first day of class. Right. And and you never referred to it again. Right. You know, exactly. which is pretty much this was <laughs> went into the back of the folder. Right. right. You know, mm-hmm. So um and so now, I mean syllabi for me are um you know, they're they're a lot more three dimensional, so they're electronic. And instead of big blocks of text where there's like policy that I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I simply have uh links that take the students to those places at the college, in the college's electronic world where those policies are there, um, you know, the, I'm able to interact with, uh, the, I'm able to have my students think about the interaction between image and text in a syllabus now electronically because I can put images next to things mm-hmm. and things along those lines. Sure. Um, I, can, I can make the syllabus, apart from being a contract, the syllabus is actually this sort of these terms of how we're going to be together in the, in the semester. And so it's an organic document over 16 weeks. So right. I can, I change it. Mm-hmm. I can edit it, yeah, you know, and then right. tell my students, mm-hmm. Hey, you know, you know, in light of this or in light of that, you know, I've made some changes to the syllabus. What do you think? Mm-hmm. And things like that. And so the syllabus becomes, you know, I, I think it actually might be for the first time to, you know, becomes a part of a course mm-hmm. as opposed to this sort of, yeah. you know, like, uh, like the safety information on airplane flight. Right, you know, right. We have to do this. Mm-hmm, this obligatory document. Exactly. And mm-hmm. then, you know, and then and that, that'll that be that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting the, the, the way you talk about um, the, the sort of 
the impact of these sort of various forms, right? In library instruction, we used to sort of be able to clearly define, right? An academic journal looks like this, mm -hmm. right? Um, a book looks like this, and here's how it's different from an academic journal. Um, and of course, you know, those old sort of approaches don't work anymore because by and large that's not how anyone not even ourselves you know i can't remember the last time i held a physical academic journal in my hand it was probably during grad school mm -hmm. um, because that's just not how i can i access or make use of that kind of information anymore um, and so it's really interesting to think about how different choices in information forms um, also inform then how you potentially approach that and think about it and the kinds of questions that that might raise for you. Especially, I think, it's really impacted the idea of process. Mm -hmm. I, the good majority of my time on social media is with other people in my field. Yeah. And for a lot of people, one of the starting points, you know, if not the starting point, but so let's say one of the first part of the, the the menu of the first three or four steps you're going to do when you're starting when you're interested in a particular research question you know it used to be yeah you looked at the journals you went to the card catalog that's way back when i was in the <laughs> right old, you know, oh I was yeah old, i learned a card catalog too and then it was you know then you went to the online card catalog or the online uh, uh search thing and you went to the databases that mm -hmm. sort of and i think a lot of people right. are stuck right there mm -hmm. um yeah. and now i mean a, a lot of my um a lot of the people in my field one of the first things they'll do is, you know, we all belong to sort of, you know, discussion lists that, you know, that are curated or closed Facebook groups and things like that. And, sure. the, and you'll just, some will just drop a, drop a hive mind question in there. Hey, yeah. you know, I'm looking for recent articles that deal with this. Mm -hmm. Does anybody know anything? Yeah. And then, you know, and, and what's interesting is that that is that, and this is what I think is great is that in the old days, I might do a lot of work all by myself and mm -hmm. I'd find some things. Mm -hmm. And then maybe, you know, let's say, I don't know, 60, 70% of the things I found would make it into a bibliography that eventually get in print that someone might eventually see. Sure. Now, right. when you ask this open-ended question, you know, in a, in, a, in a closed group on Facebook, in a Twitter thing, something along those lines, mm -hmm. we're all watching and we're all contributing. And right. then we all come away mm -hmm. with bibliography immediately That's before right. your before mm -hmm. the, it takes the two years before your article ever sees the light of day or sure. those kinds of things yeah. and that's really revolutionized for me because you know i mean i'm 50 years old i was in grad school 25 years ago and um you know and the field is moving at light speed and this is how yeah. i try and keep up mm -hmm. with things that are going on right. um is you know being a part of these kinds of conversations and reading the kinds of things that are being shared and, um, you know, and then using that as a springboard into the more traditional kinds of things. Yeah, and I think that raises a, an interesting point of discussion for our students as well, right? So thinking about the ways in which people, colleagues, right, are also resources, are also really invaluable sources of information. And so sometimes just reaching out to someone like your colleagues or, you know, the, the, your personal learning network or whoever that might be um, is actually much more fruitful than like trying to look something up in Google or Google Scholar or trying to dig through the databases because chances are you're not going to discover or stumble across 
across all of the things that all the other people in your network have already encountered, mm -hmm. discovered, and found to be fruitful or helpful um, to whatever it is that you're sort of interested in learning or exploring. Um, and so I think that's an that's an interesting point to sort of raise is that part of this idea that information literacy and the research process are really complicated and not necessarily always sort of this straightforward, okay, now I've looked at the databases, so I've checked this box sort of, sort of thing. It's about sort of ways of thinking um, and sometimes sort of pushing yourself in a, in a different direction in order to be successful. So I think that sort of touches before on what you were talking about, about these sort of filters and recognizing that in some cases a different strategy might be more helpful or more appropriate. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And the idea, I mean, I'm teaching our, our capstone course for our majors this spring. And so one of the things I'm trying to do I'm, I'm not sure. Well, I'm not sure if I'll succeed. You know, because it hasn't started yet. But is that in the mind of the majors, the course is simply about the paper that they produce, and so it's a course about a paper. Mm -hmm. And and one of the things I'm doing is I'm putting my syllabus together this week and thinking about, especially the first class meeting, is to sort of say this. Actually, this is this isn't a class that's about a paper. Mm -hmm. This is a class that's a seminar for our graduating seniors. And so you've, you've essentially worked your way to be in this class. Mm -hmm. And um, and we're going to spend a semester with your with your three and a half years of, of experience and knowledge behind you yeah. talking about some things. And then as part of all of that, you are going to write a paper. But it's not a class about a paper. Right. And so, um, and so it's interesting because there's a struggle, I think, you know, between competing goods okay there's always, i mean there's always a dilemma when you're competing you know have to choose between two goods right yeah, so there's, absolutely and so there's this you know but don't you want to teach a writing process and don't you want to teach critical thinking and this that and the other and and you know and of course the answer of course is you know, yeah you know one of everything please <laughs> but um plus it all goes together exactly it all goes together and so you know um you know, we all take turns teaching this class. So I had, last time I taught it was about a decade ago, give or take. And, you know, and I did it very, I, I'm going to do it very differently. Back then it was all about, you know, here are the databases, here are the journals, mm -hmm. um, you know, he, you know, uh, here's how, you know, uh, you want to have a sort of a, a guiding question, you want to write a rough draft, and, you know, all those things are good. Here's right? an outline of the research exactly. process. Exactly, but, mm -hmm. but it's not, a research process is not like, you know, a recipe for cookies, yeah, you know, exactly. with, with, with the only, you know, which, which are pretty much relatively the same. You mm -hmm. just, you're just changing in and out certain kinds of things, you know? Right. Um, and so the challenge for me is going to try and get my students to realize that, oh, okay, I, I know a lot about this field already because I'm about to graduate. Mm -hmm. And now this, this faculty member is asked us to read these books together and talk about them together and then what kinds of questions rise out of that experience? And then yeah. how can I go find out more about that? Yeah. Which is a little more organic mm -hmm. in that kind of a sense. And it's more experiential as sure. opposed to just sitting and, you know, thinking, you know, staring at a blank wall in your dorm room thinking, oh, I need a paper topic. <laughs> right. right? right. And, but then the notion is yeah. that once you have a topic, you know, the rest of it, it's almost like dominoes fall. Right. right? Yeah. And, it's just know, sort of a matter of filling right? in the blanks. And then, you know, you mm -hmm. buy the note cards mm -hmm. and you, you know, and on and on and on. Yep. You find the sources that you can insert into your paper. Right. right. Which yeah. is one of the things I find, you know, for, I, I know lots of friends of mine in academia love Bibli bibliography programs like Zotero and things like that, mm -hmm. and they swear mm -hmm. by them, and I think that's great. 
I've never been able to get comfortable using them, partly because I'm I'm just thinking about where information comes from, what it is differently, and partly because my writing process is different, mm-hmm. and partly because mm-hmm. I mean you know I'm an old guy and I have like Chicago Manual style burned into my brain, and so it's really <laughs> no big deal to write everything out by hand. Oh yeah, but. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, but, but I think something, you know, so, you know, there's an example of here's a really great, super helpful electronic tool that people, smart people have worked really hard to make. But, you know, it's not one size fits all. That yeah, doesn't absolutely. work for everybody. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting, too, because I feel like there are people who use that. And if you sort of dig into their process, everyone sort of has a different approach even to using that specific tool. So even the way that it sort of fits, the way that you might engage or interact with information might be different, even if, you know, from the person who's sitting next to you also using the same mm-hmm. tool. Um, and so it's interesting to think about, you know, sort of how how we sort of figure out this process that's right for us and the way that we interact with information and the research process um, and how then we sort of find the tools for you. You know, it's Chicago Manual and being able to just type that up for yourself. Um, I do use Zotero because I'm one of those people where I'm sort of like, oh, I should read this. And so for me, mm-hmm. I use it sort of as like a bookmarking yes. t- organizational tool, right? So that I can say, all right, now I want to read something about, I need to learn more about this thing. And so I can go to that folder in Zotero and find this sort of whole, right, cu- curated list already exactly. of the things that I've already sort of said that this seems like this is interesting and related to this particular topic. Um, and so it's interesting. I know that's not how other people use it, right? So thinking about how how our students also sort of need to figure out what their process looks like and the tools and 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 supports that that work for them um, when I was teaching first year students that's one of the things I tried to stress as they were working on their research paper I can't tell you what this process looks like because it's probably going to look different for right. me than it will for you but the key is like we're exploring and learning it's not just about finding it's not just about using information it's really about um, engaging with that information and ask you know using it to ask more questions um, and and that process of sort of digging deeper into something that you were sort of talking about wanting for your students too right taking your previous experiences and how does that play into all of this and that's one thing I think we don't ask our students very much and maybe we don't you know as, as academics we may not ask ourselves but that is you know there's this notion that you produce a piece of research and so there was all you know uh, there was all this information over here and then in this kind of weird you know and, and I you know if I could use a bad metaphor I ingested this information mm-hmm. and then some sort of alchemy takes place <laughs> and then I produce this piece of research and and the notion is, is that really makes you know, you, the researcher, my, you know, uh, makes me um, not so much passive because you know you're 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 you know if we can keep the 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 digestive metaphor you know going. I mean, mm-hmm. you're processing whatever sure. this means, but nobody ever stops. I think to stop and ask, and it's like, okay, so how how are you different from having read all these things and thought about them and produced this? We sort of think mm-hmm. like because you know once the author produces this piece of research, I mean, this is my field, right? You produce a piece of research and then the author 
fades because the research goes on and it gets reviewed. And there are panels and you know, and this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. And that's all well and good. But I think, you know, as as academics, do we ever stop and think about how has doing this research changed me? Right. right. How I yeah. think about things, mm-hmm. how I go about doing research, you know, differently in the future, things along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a question worth asking. Absolutely. And I like how you sort of frame that because it, it, to me, I was hearing two things. Right. So it's not only about how this research has changed, how you might think about this thing you were researching, but also about how that might inform how you do other research moving forward, right? So this that idea that you're sort of, there's this, like, complex learning that's happening. It's not just learning about. It's also this sort of metacognition, right, thinking about how you're thinking about things, how that might inform um, your approach moving forward. Um, it's sort of, like, happening on, I don't know, I'm sort of seeing multiple levels, it, right? But it I is. think it's, it's more complicated than and that. It, and it's more than just... I want to make this clear. It's more than just, oh, technology allows me to do things faster than I used to. I, I, you know, that, right, that's certainly right. one element. But I'm sure. talking about something just a lot more complicated about how you how you think about things. So, you know, for example, right, um, you know, I, I work in bodies of lots of ancient texts. And, um, and my ability to access those texts in a matter of seconds has changed how I think about particular kinds of research questions. And part of it, you know, might just be like the path of least resistance. But, you know, when I think about, oh, you know, whatever. Um, There's this weird line in one of the Psalms, you know, I wonder what's going on. And so in a matter of seconds, I can pull up multiple, you know, text traditions of, of those psalms from different databases or, you know, things like that. Um, I can I can zero in on a couple of, of, t- of places where I can see how rabbinic or early Christian people might have interpreted these kinds of, you know. And, and so that's different from maybe 20 years ago if I had that kind of question. You know, first of all, looking at different traditions would require, you know, clearing off my entire desk <laughs> and opening up all these books. Sure. But also then the next step would have been journal articles and things like that. So, so the interesting right. thing is, yeah. so the whole notion of the ability to access what we would call, I guess, primary sources, although sure. that's, a, that's a slippery term. but just, Yeah, just, absolutely. But the ability to access right. primary sources changes a lot about how I think about my research because it used to be you would have a question about a primary source, but, but the easiest place to start would be secondary sources. So I'm automatically approaching this material, having it filtered through other people's thoughts about it right. as opposed to me interacting with it primarily mm-hmm. and the, and and that can't that can't you know um, not have an effect on how you sure, think about of things course, right yeah yeah because automatically right previously you were forced to go through a filter that is or a, a research that was already filtered by someone else mm-hmm. and so their perspective their particular take probably their particular area of research expertise their experiences were right. all informing all of that absolutely they are yeah who trained them so you know so yeah in the old days it, it would be you know do you know anyone who's written anything on Psalm 27 because I mentioned it about it and now mm-hmm. you know in, in, in an afternoon you know in your office you can you know you you can access you know lots of pre-academic pre-modern whatever you want to call it you, mm-hmm. but you can access how lots of people from let's say whatever the turn of the of the Christian into the Christian era up through the Middle Ages have thought about 
Psalm 27 mm -hmm. before you ever even have to interact with other academics working through those things. And so then right. you, you're reading those articles more competently. Mm -hmm. Again, the notion of passive and active and all these different kinds of things. Sure. I mean, that's, right. that's a pretty low-level example, but it, it's significant. Right, because you're already sort of building that familiarity, right, with the context that comes along with that mm -hmm. academic approach. And so that's really interesting to sort of think about, right, is that you're... and. The, so, sorry, I'm like getting excited about all of this, but to, to me, that's, that's a, a, a much more gets to this idea of engagement, right? If you have that experience of having sort of done that work in, in that time in your office, right, to sort of get to that point, not that you don't know it already, but right, to look into this particular psalm and the way it's been um, pre presented across these different sort of ways, um, you're already in a different place to read that academic article than you would have mm -hmm. been if you hadn't been able to do that. Exactly. If the academic article had been where you had to start. Right. You're more, I don't know, empowered. You have a greater sense of agency as a reader, mm -hmm. I think, at some point. Yeah. Again, you're talking about things that are really exciting to me because you use the words empowered and agency. And ultimately, for me, that's what information literacy is really about. It's not about this sort of check a box. I have this thing. I can search for this. I can do this thing, right? It's actually about these abilities and these ways of thinking that help us all feel like we are empowered to learn things. We are empowered empowered to, we have agency to make decisions, to make informed decisions, um, and that we are in that sort of active interaction with information, and that's empowering for us. So you could tell I'm just really excited about the fact that you're using those words in the same way that I would, because ultimately that's why information literacy is so powerful, because it's not just about this, you learn this thing in this specific context. It's really moving us beyond that to skills and abilities that help us in no matter what domain we are in, whether that's on campus or off campus. Um, I know we could talk about this a lot more, um, especially given how excited I am by all of this, um, but sadly, that is all the time we have for today. So many thanks to you, Tom, for joining me at the round table. For listeners, let us know your thoughts on information literacy, either in the comments or on our social media. Just search Mulville Library to find and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Until next time, I'm Christine Moeller, Information Literacy and Instruction Librarian for the Mulville Library, and this has been the Roundtable Podcast.